Open your Bibles with me to Zechariah chapter 3. Zechariah chapter 3. So good to see you all here today. Yeah, I was thinking about it this morning that, you know, my best friends in the world are in this room or in the overflow. And uh, it's just fun coming to church with you people. It's a blessing. And uh, glad somebody would want to come and listen. That's always good. All right, Zechariah chapter 3. Oh, I wanted to announce that Adam Pierce is speaking for Man Camp this year. And so that's going to be a lot of fun, Brother Adam. And we're going to be uh, holding it at the Callaway's place. And so that's going to be a blast. And their property may never be the same. So in prayer for the Callaway's. No, it's going to be great. They have a beautiful home and uh, the grounds. So it's going to be a lot of fun there. All right, Zechariah chapter 3, look at verse 6. And the angel of the Lord protested unto Joshua, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, If thou wilt walk in my ways, and if thou wilt keep my charge, then thou shalt also judge my house, and shalt also keep my courts, and I will give thee places to walk among these that stand by. Dear Heavenly Father, help us as we study your word. Lord, I'm thankful for it. And this morning is so practical for us. Father, I pray that uh, we'll have a good understanding of this. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, keep your place here in Zechariah. Go with me to Revelation chapter 5. I want to speak this morning on the duty of the priest. The duty of the priest. Revelation chapter 5. And look at verse 9. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain. And hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And hast made us unto our God kings and priests and we shall reign on the earth. So, of course, this is after the rapture has taken place. We're all gathered together in heaven. We're around the throne and we're worshiping the Lamb. And notice what it says, that He has redeemed us to God by Thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. Isn't it interesting that some people could be racists and call themselves Christians? Or think that one race is better than another or that God has chosen a particular nation today other than Israel beyond another nation. Listen, the only reason that God blesses the United States of America is based on the righteousness of its people and their treatment of the nation of Israel. That's it. So how are we doing as far as the righteousness of our nation? Well, then we'd better be nice to Israel. right? We're going to talk about our nation a little bit more uh, in a minute, But it's really important for us to see that when we gather around the throne, it's not a particular nation or it's not a particular race. It's people who have been redeemed by His blood out of every, what does it say? Out of every uh, kindred and tongue and people and nation. And then notice what it says, "...and has made us unto our God kings and priests." Kings and priests, that is that we're going to reign with Jesus Christ on the earth, but we're also going to be priests of God. We're going to be priests of God. So now go with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. Remember, I'm speaking on the duty of the priest. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. 
But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. So notice what it's talking about. So not only in verse 9, we're a chosen generation. Now remember what generation, we think of a time period. No, this is we are the generation of God that we are produced. We're born again through His blood. The Bible says, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So we're a new generation, but we're also, look at what it says, we're a chosen generation, we're also a royal priesthood. We are all priests before God. Now, that doesn't mean we have to turn our collars around backwards. Amen? It's not, we don't have priestly garments like they did in the Old Testament. And if someone's wearing priestly garments in the New Testament, they have an illegitimate office. Amen? How many of you are wearing clothes today? How many of you are thankful the person next to you is wearing clothes today? Right? How many of you are saved? Would you raise your hands? Then you're wearing priestly garments. You're saved. Every saved person is a priest before God. Isn't that a blessing? So what I wanted to show us before we go back to the Old Testament and start digging into some of that stuff, that not only was God giving Joshua the way that the duty that he would have as a priest of Israel, that we as believers can learn some things about what we're supposed to do as priests of God in this world. So now go back to Zechariah chapter 3. Look at verse 7 again. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, If thou wilt walk in my ways, if thou wilt keep my charge, then thou shalt also judge my house, and shalt also keep my courts, and I will give thee places to walk among these that stand by. So the first thing that he wants us to do, the first thing he's instructing Joshua to do, is to walk in his ways. What is that? This is the personal aspect of Joshua's faith. It's the personal aspect of Joshua's faith. So we as believers at Grace Baptist Church, we have a statement of faith. All right, these are some basic doctrines that we believe. Primarily, this is our statement of faith, right? So we have a statement of faith, this, this list of doctrines that we hold to. So every Christian believes in the, the deity of Christ, if it, that is, that He is God. If someone calls himself a Christian, but they don't believe that Jesus Christ is God, they're a liar. They're not a Christian. Right? So we believe in the deity of Christ. We believe in the virgin birth, that Jesus Christ was born by agency of God without the agency of a human man. He was born of a virgin. If a person calls himself a Christian, but they do not believe in the virgin birth, they're just not telling you the truth. We believe in the miracles of the Bible. They actually did happen. If a person calls himself a Christian, but does not believe the miracles of the Bible, they are not 
a Christian. We believe in the, the vicarious atonement of Jesus Christ. That is that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, He didn't die for any sin of His own. He died for our sin. He died in our place. If a person does not believe in the vicarious atonement of Jesus Christ, His substitutionary death, he is not a Christian. If a church teaches anything other than that death, burial, and resurrection of Christ for our sins, they are not a Christian church. There's another doctrine that all Christians believe, and that's the visible return of Jesus Christ to the earth. Every Christian denomination believes that Jesus Christ is coming back. This is a simple statement of faith. We believe in the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If a church says that they're a Christian church, but they don't believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, they are not a Christian church. I hadn't been in Sydney very long, and I saw in the newspaper, um, I think, I better not say his name because I might be wrong, but it was the Episcopal Church here in Sydney, and the pastor of that Episcopal Church didn't believe in the deity of Christ or the virgin birth. then he's not a Christian. Are you all with me on this? Are you all with me? So we have a statement of faith that makes it very clear that there are some doctrines that anyone who claims the name of Christ must hold in order to be Christian. Now, did I say anything about Baptist yet? No, because you don't have to be a Baptist to be a Christian. You just have to be a Baptist to be right. <laughs> but nowhere in the Bible do you have to be baptized to go to heaven. Our governmental structure at Grace Baptist Church, which is Jesus Christ is the head, our authority is the Word of God, and then there are two offices, the pastor and the deacon. The pastor is the overseer and teacher of the church, and the deacons help the pastor serve the people. Those are the two offices in a New Testament church. That is our church government. We're congregational, so before we took, uh, before we took out a loan to build this building, we took a vote. Uh, of the congregation to make those decisions. That's our church structure. You don't have to do any of that to be a Christian. You see? So in order to be a Christian, you must believe in the death, burial, and resurrection. In order to be a Christian church, there are some foundational doctrines. In order to agree with the Scriptures, then you must believe what the Bible says about the structure of the New Testament church. You have to believe in a born-again church membership. Babies that are baptized do not become members of the church. You have to be born again in order to be a member of a New Testament church. We believe in the autonomy of the local church. There's no outside organization telling us what to do here. And just by extension, there's no outside organization funding this work. If this is going to move ahead, that comes from the giving of God's people that attend Grace Baptist Church. Amen? We're not looking to any outside organization to pay for our building or to provide those things. God does that by giving us jobs and giving us the income to accomplish that. That's the autonomy of the local church. But we also believe in the priesthood of the believer. It's really important that you get this. You don't come and confess your sin to me. You take your sin to God the Father through Jesus Christ by the intercession of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Now, we confess our faults one to another. Why do we do that? So we can live together. So we can live together. Uh, the illustration that I always use is, uh, man, I'm terrible at remembering names. So if I forget your name, please don't take it personally. It's not that I don't care about you. It's at the moment, it's hard for me to pull up somebody's name. That's a fault of mine. 
Are, are you following me? That's a fault. It's not sin to forget somebody's name. It's sin to get mad when somebody forgets your name. <laughs> so what we're supposed to do is we have to realize that those things, you don't have to believe what I just said about the priesthood of the believer in order to be a Christian. But to have a properly functioning church according to the Word of God, you have to believe that. There are two ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper. There are no sacraments. You don't receive grace by getting baptized. You don't receive grace by taking the Lord's Supper. They are a memorial. They they're, they're, give a testimony on the Lord's Supper. Jesus said, as often as you do eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till He come. You're demonstrating. You're acting something out. You're not eating the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Right? Jesus said, unless you eat my blood, drink my, or eat my flesh, drink my blood, you can't enter the kingdom. And everybody laughed. Remember, then what did he say? The flesh profiteth nothing, the spirit that giveth life. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. So what are you supposed to do? He said, I'm the bread of life. You're supposed to consume his words. That's what he was saying. People just needed to read a little farther before they left. And so when we understand that there are two ordinances in the church, baptism and the Lord's Supper, they're not sacerdotal. You do not receive grace as you take those things. Do you know that there are a lot of Christians who believe in sacraments and they're going to be in heaven with us? You see, that's not a distinctive that determines whether or not a person is saved. It does determine whether or not they agree with what the Bible says. But it doesn't determine whether or not they're saved. We believe in individual soul liberty. I can't make anyone believe anything. That's why we don't baptize babies. That baby is being baptized against their will. If you've ever seen it happen, you know that that's the case. (laughs) They are being baptized against their will. We never baptize someone against their will. They voluntarily submit to believer's baptism. Individual soul liberty. Then we believe in the, the, the Scripture as our sole authority. The Bible is our sole authority. There are no outside creeds. There are no outside confessions that we submit to. If we give a confession of faith, someone says, what what do you believe? And I give a list like I'm giving. That's fine, but it's not authoritative. What's authoritative is this. The reason that list is good is because I'm quoting the Scriptures. You see, this is our authority. There's no outside creed. There's no outside confession. It is only the Word of God. And then there are the two offices, pastor and deacon. We talked about that a minute ago. And then there is an S at the end, and that's separation of church and state. Because we believe in the priesthood of the believer, because we believe in individual soul liberty, there's no way that the government can tell you what to believe. Amen? The day that the government comes and says, you can no longer say this at Grace Baptist Church, is the day that we're going to have to stand up against the government. Must obey God rather than men. Is that what the apostles said? And so that's what we would do. So what do we pray for? We pray like they did in uh, 1 Corinthians 13 and Romans 13 that we can live in, that we live peacefully with our government. What do we want from government? Number one, to be left alone. That's the idea. So as a Christian, those are the things that we believe. Uh, the, the, we believe in the vicarious atonement, the deity of Christ, the virgin birth, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, His return to the earth, and we believe in miracles. To be a Christian, you have to believe in those things. To be a Baptist, you have to believe in those Baptist distinctives that I added, and those are the things that make a Baptist church distinct from the other Christian denominations. But what everyone needs to understand is that the office of the priest no longer exists the way it did in the Old Testament. 
When Jesus Christ died on the cross and that veil was rent in two in the temple, from top to bottom, that means that God did it. What he was saying is that you no longer have to go to God through an earthly priest. We now, like I've quoted the last three weeks, there's one God and there's one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. We have access to God by our high priest, Jesus Christ. Is that right? And then he said, we are priests. What does that mean? That means that if Luke is having trouble, I can go to God for Luke. Isn't that awesome? Um, I was talking with Dan New about Dr. Edwards and telling him how better to pray for Dr. Edwards. It's just none of us would ever want to go through what he's going through right now. It's horrible. So we need to continue to pray for Dr. Edwards. You know what's wonderful? That's not trite. Anybody saved here? Any of you saved? Then you have access to God. You're a priest. You can go to God for him. How many of you have a lost loved one, someone that you care about that's not saved? Do you know that you can go to God for that person? You can't save that person, but you can intercede for that person and beg God that he can somehow get through that person's resistance to the gospel. You see, we are priests before God. And we have this statement of faith that I just gave. All right? Bible is our sole authority, autonomy of the local church, priesthood of the believer, two ordinances, uh, individual soul liberty, saved church membership, the two offices, separation of church and state, all of those things that we believe, that's our statement of faith. So there's something that we claim to believe, but there's also another statement of faith. And it's the life we live. Have you ever found out someone was a Christian and you were surprised? No, it's a pleasant surprise. I'm glad when I find out anybody's a Christian. I heard a guy say one time that uh, he knew a guy that was, he said, you know, I was at the bar last night and I got drunk, but I want you to know, I stood up and I told everybody about Jesus. And the preacher said, next time you're drunk, just stay quiet. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? You know, I, I, um, there's so many illustrations where people are trying to do God's work, but they don't want to do it God's way. And the flip side of it is when people claim the name of Jesus Christ and yet they live a life that completely violates everything that the Bible says. Now, how many of you know that it's wrong to commit adultery? Any of you know that it's wrong to commit adultery, commit fornication? It's wrong to speak in certain ways. It's wrong to attend certain things. Look at Psalm chapter 1. The young people that were at camp, this will bring one of those messages to memory. All right, Psalm 1, verse 1, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And yet we have a world that requires us to be in to walk in the counsel of the ungodly, stand in the way of sinners, no sit in the seat of the scornful. We're just not supposed to do that as believers. How many of you are saved here? Then we're supposed to live differently than the world does. Amen? If, if there's a skeptic, if there's a scorner that's rebuking God's word, then we just can't sit there and be quiet. That doesn't mean we have to be ugly to them. Just say you're wrong. Or that's not what I believe. I believe in the word of God. 
You don't have to confront. You don't have to be ugly about it. But if, if someone is speaking against your Savior, against the Word of God, against what the Bible says, it is our responsibility to speak the truth in love, regardless of the outcome. That is our responsibility. We are to walk in His ways. We have a statement of faith. We also have a life of faith. And our life must honor our charge. Look at Proverbs chapter 3. Remember what the passage said in Zechariah, if thou wilt walk in my ways, walk in my ways. All right, so look at Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 6. Oh, we got to get verse 5. It's too good. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy, what's it say? Acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. In all thy ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. How do we acknowledge him in all of our ways? Well, have you ever walked into a room and people ignored you? I wonder how often in our ways we ignore the Lord. So, you walk out of the house, acknowledge the Lord. You walk into the office, walk into the factory, walk into the job, walk into the school, acknowledge the Lord. Lord, I know you're here with me. Lord, help me. And then what's he going to do? He's going to direct your paths. You ever been in a situation where you didn't know what to do? Had you acknowledged God in that situation, then He will direct your paths. Now, I'm not saying it's always going to be easy. There, you will come in, in, into circumstances where you don't know what to do. I, I promise you that's going to happen. But you know what else I know? God's going to direct your ways in that. He will direct your ways. So it says, In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy paths. So... I, I first, in order to walk in His ways, the first thing I need to do is know what those ways are. Have you ever done something wrong, but you didn't know you were doing it wrong? And then you got married. <laughs> Just, what's that? You know, if a tree falls in the woods, and how's it go? And no one's there to hear it. doesn't really make a sound. There's another one that's like that. If a man speaks and his wife's not there to hear it, is he still wrong? That's a question. <laughs> Come on, ladies, that's funny. So, before we can walk in God's ways, we actually have to know them. How are we going to know His ways? By studying His Word. Isn't that right? So, the first thing that we need to do is we need to know His ways, but then we need to submit to those ways. Look at Romans chapter 1. Look at verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind, look at, to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents. I always have to pause at that one. 
without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. It is interesting. The Bible says to believers, don't walk like unbelievers do. What does that mean? That means that we as priests of God can live in this world and behave just like lost people. When we do that, God can give us over to a reprobate mind. Have you ever said to somebody, you're just not thinking right on this? You're just not thinking right. Well, the only way that we can be thinking right is if we know His ways, then we acknowledge His ways, but then we also submit to His ways. That means that He's Lord, we're not. You can't be Lord of your life if Jesus is Lord of your life. Amen? So we submit to Him and we submit to His ways. But not only do that, but we also walk in His ways. Look at Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, look at verse 2. That their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. See, if I understand that all wisdom and knowledge is bound up in Jesus Christ. And if I want to have a good life, I need to have access to that wisdom and knowledge by acknowledging that the only way I can have it is by submitting to His Word. Drop down to verse 9. For in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, for ye are complete in Him, which is the head of all principality and power. So what is a priest supposed to do? A priest is supposed to walk in the ways of God. This is the personal aspect of his faith. Now, I asked you before, how many of you are saved? But would you raise your hand again if you're saved? All right, you say you believe in him, the Bible says, then walk even as he walked. That means that there are some aspects of our lives where we have to make choices every day to acknowledge him, to allow him to direct our paths, and to choose a life that brings glory to him. Amen? So that's the first thing, thou shalt thou wilt walk in my ways. Go back to Zechariah. Chapter 3. Thus saith, verse 7, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, if thou wilt walk in my ways. And then it says, if thou wilt keep my charge. If thou wilt keep my charge. So walk in his ways, that's the personal aspect of his faith. This is the professional aspect aspect of his faith. He needs to be right. That's the way that he walks. But then he needs to keep his ministry right. So for us as believers, there's a way that the ministry is supposed to be done. Some, somebody will say, well, in my old church, we used to do this. Well, the issue isn't whether or not we should do it because the old church did it. The issue is, is it the right way to do ministry? Amen? It's really... Help me out here. Amen? Amen. Amen. It's really important that we understand that, that the ministry must be done God's way. Notice what it says in the text again. It says, if thou wilt keep my charge. If thou wilt keep my charge. So what was that charge? Look at Leviticus chapter 8. This is that book of the Bible that you read through really fast in January. 
in your Bible reading. Leviticus chapter 8. Look at verse 35. This is the charge. Therefore shall ye abide at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation day and night seven days and keep, do you see this? The charge of the Lord that ye die not for so I am commanded. Now, can you imagine? Okay, man camp's about to happen. And Luke, I expect you to be at man camp. And I want you to be there Friday evening, and I want you to be there Saturday morning. And if you don't, you're going to die. How many of you glad we're not in Old Testament times? <laughs> that, that, that was the duty of the priest. Now, do you think maybe that this, so this, this priest is being instructed, do you think maybe he got a hint of the seriousness of his charge? It's very interesting. Look at Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, uh, no, go to 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 2. Verse 1, Now the days of David drew nigh that he should die, and he charged Solomon his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. Be thou strong, therefore, and show thyself a man. And keep the charge of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes and his commandments and his judgments and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that thou mayest prosper in all that thou doest and whithersoever thou turnest thyself. So this was the charge, obviously, that David is giving to his son Solomon. Solomon was going to be king. And what is that charge? Well, walk in his ways. Keep his statutes and commandments, his judgments and testimonies. That was his charge. So you have the charge of a priest, you have the charge of, to a king, and then in Revelation chapter 5 it says that we're kings and priests. So what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to keep the charge that God has given us. What charge has He given us? Well, it's interesting. Let's look at some charges in the New Testament. Even demons have to respond to the charge of God. Look at Mark chapter 9. Verse 25. Mark chapter 9 and verse 25. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. And the spirit cried and rent him sore and came out of him. And he was as one dead, insomuch that many said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And so this is, remember, well, just to get the story, verse 28. And when he was come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast him out? And he said unto them, This kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. Now, Jesus didn't have any problem getting him out. But for us, it would have had to have been by prayer and fasting. But notice that even a demon can't resist the charge of God. So what should we as priests do? We should accept the charge of God and do what God says for us to do. Angels have to keep His charge. Look at Luke 4. Demons keep that charge. The king keeps the charge. The priest keeps the charge. Look at angels. Luke chapter 4.
Verse 10. For as it is written, He shall give His angels charge over thee to keep thee. You know, in the book of Revelation, it's to the angel of the church at Ephesus, to the angel of the church at Smyrna, to the angel of the church at Pergamos. God gives each church an angel to, to, to protect it. Isn't it wonderful to have that protection of God? We have that as angels follow His charge. This is a good illustration of what that charge would look like. Look at, Philipp, or look at Acts chapter 16, the Philippian jailer. Acts 16, look at verse 22. And the multitude rose up together against them. This is Paul and Silas. And the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely. Do you see that? This jailer had a charge. At midnight... Uh, verse 24, "...who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. And at midnight Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awakening out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled." Why was he going to kill himself? That's a pretty good excuse that there's an earthquake. How many of you think that's a pretty good excuse? The prison doors were open. What's he supposed to do about the earthquake? didn't matter. He'd been given a charge. And that charge carried a responsibility. If he failed to keep that charge, the penalty was death. So he figured he might as well kill himself. Of course, the apostle said, Do thyself no harm. He preached the gospel. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And he tells him, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thou shalt be saved in thy house. So what is our charge? What is our charge? Let's get a biblical understanding of that. Look at 1 Timothy 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Look at verse 3. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that, that, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. So what is our charge as Christian ministers, as priests and kings? What is our charge? There's a doctrinal limitation to our charge. You can't preach what you want. You can't teach what you want. It must be under the authority of God's Word. Look at chapter 1 and verse 18. This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies that went before on thee, that thou by them might war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck. So what's this talking about? Well, our work has to be done in faith. We have to believe God. Even when it seems like when we preach that we don't get the result that we want, we have to have faith and then make sure that you have a good conscience. I can't do anything as a pastor that would violate my conscience. I can't live in a way that when I stand up here and tell you the truth that my life violates what I stand up here and do. Let me be very careful. I wish I could do everything I preach that you're supposed to do. Please don't think that I'm saying I do everything. But I do try to live a life that aligns with what I am preaching from the pulpit. Why? So I can maintain a good conscience. You'd have to be a sociopath to be a preacher 
living in open sin. Your conscience, I, I, I can't imagine that. Look at chapter 5, 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 7. And these things give in charge that they might be blameless. What's this talking about? The way the older women are supposed to treat the younger women, the way that we treat widows, the way that older men are supposed to treat younger men, younger men are supposed to treat older men. We're supposed to charge them to do that. Chapter 6 and verse 17. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. What's this talking about? Man, just have enough money. Now, notice what it says. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded. And here's what we as Americans say. Boy, that's not me. We're the richest people in the world. (laughs) Right? So let's make sure that we have to give to other people that we're ready to care. That's a charge that we are given. All right, look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at His appearing and His kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. That's our charge, right? Before the quick and the dead, we're going to appear before God and His kingdom. I'm supposed to preach the word. Sometimes people who aren't familiar with a church like Grace Baptist Church, they come here and they they have a Bible sometimes, but they really don't expect to use it. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Then you come here and it's just, let's look at this verse, let's look at this verse. Why? Because my charge is to preach the Word. It's to preach the Word. Do you know that my job is not to entertain And I do like to try and use humor sometimes or whatever to keep your attention, but it's your job to come here and get things from the Word of God. My job is to communicate the Word of God, but notice what else it says. Be instant, in season, out of season. What is that? Ready. Instant. Ready to preach the Word at any moment. Ready to stand up for God. That is our charge. Uh, Look at uh, verse Two, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke with all, or uh, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Okay, reprove, show you what's wrong. Rebuke, correct that. Exhort, challenge you with what's right. But long suffering because people are slow to get it, but then doctrine. That's what we're supposed to do. Why? For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. The teachers want to be commended. Tell me how good I am. Tell me how good I am. I was at a meeting one time and a young preacher said, why, to, he asked an older preacher, why, are there, why do I not hear any doctrine at these meetings? And the other preacher said, well, that's not really what it's for. And I said, yeah, here, let me tell you why. Because you can't raise money when you're preaching doctrine. Because doctrine always divides. Amen? And that's why we have to understand that we, we need to not worry about the finances We preach the truth, and then God provides the finances through His people. Amen? That's what we're supposed to do. All right, let's finish this up. Back to Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 3, verse 7. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, if thou wilt walk in my ways, and if thou wilt keep my charge. What's that next word? Then 
shalt also, then thou shalt also judge my house. Then thou shalt judge my house. Go to De- keep your place in Zechariah, but go to Deuteronomy chapter 17. Look at verse 9. Verse 8. If there arise a matter too hard for thee in judgment between blood and blood, between plea and plea, and between stroke and stroke, being matters of controversy within thy gates, so within thy gates that's under your authority, then shalt thou arise and get thee up into the place which the Lord thy God shall choose, and thou shalt come unto the priests, the Levites, and unto the judge that shall be in those days and inquire, and they shall show thee the sentence of judgment. So it was the job of the priest to judge. It was the job of the priest to judge. I was watching um, Tucker Carlson, and he had this liberal commentator on, and he was asking, uh, Tucker was asking him to make a judgment about something, and he said, my Christian Bible tells me not to judge. And a good follow-up was, well, your Christian Bible also tells you not to kill babies and endorse homosexuality. And there, there's a whole list, but for some reason, Tucker didn't say those things, probably because he doesn't know them. But what are we supposed to do? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5. The Bible says we're priests and kings. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Do you know that we as believers are supposed to be wise Amen? We're supposed to be wise. So look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. But now I have written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such an one know not to eat. For what have I to do to judge them also that are without? Do not ye judge them that are within? But them that are without, God judgeth. Therefore, put away from yourselves that wicked person. What's this talking about? That we as a church are supposed to judge the holiness of the people in the church. The outside world, they judge that. We we have earthly judges for that. We in the church, if there's someone in the church who's living in immorality, it's our job to judge that. Now, when we do that, if we exercise church discipline, there are people outside of the church that think that we're just horrible, like we're doing some kind of an Amish shunning or something. No, we're doing exactly what the Bible tells us to do. What's the desire? The desire is for that person to repent. And if that person repents, they come back, they're restored to fellowship. We love them and have fellowship with them. They have the respect of the people of God. Amen? But if they're going to keep living in sin, we will keep judging that, that it's wrong. And we won't eat with them. They won't be allowed to have the Lord's Supper with us. That's what the Bible says. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1. Dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unjust and not before the saints? Do ye not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Know ye not that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If then ye have judgments of things pertaining to this life, set them to judge who are least esteemed in the church. What's that talking about? Just because a person has money doesn't mean that they should be the one making the judgment. We want the people that are holy who know God to be making the judgment. Amen? 
This is what we're supposed to do. So it's just interesting, but as Americans, what's our response? Mind your own business. When you join a church, what you're saying is, I'm going to submit to the church in my life. And that's a willing submission. We can't make you do anything. Amen? That's a willing submission. So, back to Zechariah. We're going to judge. Verse 7, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, If thou wilt walk in my ways, and if thou wilt keep my charge, then thou shalt also judge my house, and shalt also keep my courts. So the courts were just outside the holy place. This is where the people were. The righteous priest will live righteously in the temple and out among the people. In other words, our Sunday life should match our Monday through Saturday life. Amen? But then look at what it says. Verse 7 again. End of the verse. Thou shalt also keep my courts, and I will give thee places to walk among these that stand by. What's that talking about? So if Joshua as the priest would walk in his ways, would keep his charge, and would judge the people righteously. And then when he lived out among those people, they saw that he was righteous. God was going to give him influence. He was going to give him influence. How many of you believe that our community could use our influence? Would you raise your hands? Well, that means we have to be out among them influencing. And what's going to make us different from the rest of the people in our community? Because, listen, we have religious people in our community, don't we? We have religious people. Whether or not they're saved isn't the issue. We have religious people. Not only are they religious, but when it comes to um, moral uprightness, the way they handle their money, the way they care for things, the, the way that they work, their work ethic, we got great people in this community, don't we? So what's going to be the difference between them and us. First of all, we had better be working hard. We had better be handling our money properly. We had better have a good reputation on the same things that they expect of themselves. Isn't that right? They shouldn't be better in those areas than us. Come on. What should be the difference? Holiness. Holiness. So that when they see the way that your children behave and the decisions that your children are making as they grow into adulthood, and they look at the decisions that their children are making, children are making growing into adulthood, there ought to be a difference. Young people, should you be different than the children of lost people? Should you be different? Parents, we ought to be raising them in a way that shows that they're different. The way that we interact with people. What's another way that we're going to be different than those others that are having influence in the community? The way that we forgive we're not supposed to hold grudges. Now, that doesn't mean if somebody rips you off that you allow them to rip you off again. Right? That's not what that's talking about. But we do forgive people and we live as Christians out in this world so that we can influence the culture. Let's look at verse 7 again. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, If thou wilt walk in my ways and if thou shalt keep my charge, then shalt then thou shalt also judge my house and shalt also keep my courts. And I will give thee places to walk among these that stand by. That's the duty of a priest. The duty of a priest actually results in us having influence in the community. Let's make sure that we're doing what we're supposed to do. Amen? Amen. And what a privilege it is to do it where God's given us that information. Let's all stand together.
Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word and the opportunity to preach it.